And we're starting. So good morning or good noon hour. It is uh, June 29th. And uh, today we are talking with a good friend of mine. Her name's Nicole Eplin. We've known her for quite, I've known her for quite a uh, six, eight years, something like that. Um, and I have talked to her about her career before she's came into these classes. It's an interesting career and it's one that I think um, people will find unique because it's non-traditional IT, meaning she did not get her degree in IT. And um, I'll let her talk about that in just a second. And because and obviously, you know, she's in technology or else I wouldn't have her here speaking, <laughs> you know, because she was a, you know, like a gymnastics coach or something like that. I, I've got her here because she's she does something that's related to the fields that we're into. Um, so, but for that, uh, Nicole, how about just tell us a little bit about yourself? Maybe are you from where you're from around here? What do you like to do for fun? Anything else kind of just about you as a person before we dig into the career and the technology stuff? All right. So I grew up in Southern Illinois. I grew up in a tiny town about an hour north of Carbondale um, and went to St. Louis College of Pharmacy and earned my graduated from there in 2007. Um, I'm married to my husband, Brandon, uh, for 17 years. Next Wednesday is our anniversary. I can't believe 17 years. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, we have three kids and um, we moved to Carbondale for my husband's job probably about 15 years ago, right after I graduated from college. We moved down here. Um, love living in Southern Illinois. We're always out hiking. We have a, a pool. We live on 12 acres in a really rural spot. Um, nice location, not too far from Tom. Yep. Beautiful. Um, yep. So I've really enjoyed that. My career has allowed me to stay, you know, close to my parents, close to my husband's parents. So our kids are close to their grandparents, but I've still gotten to really broaden my career. And now I'm getting to work for a lot of different organizations across the country. Okay. So one of the things she mentioned, guys, uh, Alex and Kyler, and, and remember, you uh, can ask questions at any time, but you got your degree in pharmacy. So you're a pharmacist, mm -hmm. a, a pharmacist, a drug giving out uh, person that uh, that we see take our script prescriptions to give them give the meds, tell us what's advised and not advised, that type of thing, which which seems mm -hmm. in in, on its face, I guess, not really like an IT thing, not something we'd talk about in this class, but you've kind of had this cool opportunity and it's, been, and it's been neat to learn from you um, to move into a technology role. So tell us, I mean, you, you started out in pharmacy. How, how long did you work in a, in a pharmacological setting or at a pharmacy? Um, tell us about that and then how you transitioned over to technology. Yeah, so I, uh, like I said, I graduated with my doctor of pharmacy degree in 2007. I'm a registered pharmacist in the state of Illinois. Um, I started right out of college at the local hospital here, Memorial Hospital of Carbondale. And I worked there as a staff pharmacist for probably about 10 years um, before I had the opportunity to start just sort of dabbling in IT work. So at the time we were using Meditech. That was the name of the software that we used. Um, Meditech is... Not the most robust software. Um, and SIH got to the point where they had you know, three hospital systems at the time. They now have four. And they also had tons of outpatient clinics that they started buying up. So they started really looking for what kind of software solution can we find that is 
um, one-stop shop. So what they were really looking for was that interoperability piece between outpatient visits and inpatient visits. So they wanted your doctor that you see, your primary care provider, or whatever specialist you see on the outpatient side, they wanted them to be able to pull up your hospital notes and view everything about your hospital stay and then vice versa. So when you're in the hospital, they want your hospitalist or whichever critical care physician that you're seeing in the hospital, they wanted them to be able to see their notes from the clinic side from, you know, what's going on with that patient before they ended up needing hospital care. So the two main software platforms that do that in the U.S. at least, and I know Epic is worldwide, I don't know if Cerner is, but Epic and Cerner are the two big ones. Um, Cerner has kind of started falling out of favor. The hospital I'm wrapping up with now converted from Cerner to Epic. Um, Epic just has done a very good job of just really developing a really robust platform. And I think what sets them the most apart is they've been able to put a lot of this stuff into a more user-friendly platform for building. So you can hire clinicians, which is what most places do. They hire a lot of clinicians, a lot of nurses, a lot of pharmacists, pharmacy techs, um, phlebotomists, anyone with a lab background, anybody that came from that hospital background, those are usually the people who are in there working on the software. So you end up with a much better product because it's more intuitive to what those end users need. So, so SIH uh, back in the earlier days had this Meditech software and the software we're talking about in general today is, is EMR or EHR, electronic medical, electronic health records. And we're, mm -hmm. we're, we're talking about, you know, when you go into the doctor, they've got your bio, they know how much you weighed back this year and how tall you were and what you got saw for and which mess, which doctor prescribed what medicines and they know everything. And, and that's all held within the electronic medical record system. So SIH had a system, Meditech, that it was kind of outgrowing, it sounds like, because SIH has, as a, as a employer and as an organization, has, has gotten huge in Southern Illinois. And um, what they used to do at three hospitals ballooned to be you know, multiple hospitals, all sorts of different types of specialty clinics where they might do uh, imaging or they might do um, heart diagnostics or, or liver work or kidney stuff and, and all these different components. Um, and, and they were probably finding that these specialized pieces of, of their, their, uh, their big SIH conglomeration, I guess, uh, was, was tricky with the MedTech software. And so they wanted to find something that was more suited and more, um, written to fill the needs of each practice and each kind of area of, of health and still be centralized so that communication and data could be shared across them, right? Yep. Very well said. Yeah. Okay. So you got all these different components and different parts at the hospital organizations and the medical facilities, and they want to transition from the old system, which is kind of clunky and, and, and maybe not written as and working as well as it could be. So you, you, you choose Epic um, or, or SIH cho chose Epic as the, 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 the one that they're gonna go all in on. She mentioned Cerner as being uh, a, one of the big electronic medical records companies and then there's Epic and Epic is by far in the lead. Um, so they decided to go with Epic. And with Epic, um, how did you get involved in the technology role? You were a pharmacist, you worked with the Meditech to do your pharmacy day-to-day -day stuff. SIH decides, hey, we're gonna move to this new EHR based on Epic. What 
how did how did it come about that you ended up working on the technology side of the the EMR implementation with Epic? Yeah, so it was a big decision for me. My youngest was two at the time and I was working part-time and I knew I'd have to work full-time, which wasn't something I wanted to do at the time, but it really is, I don't want to say once in a career opportunity, but it's not an opportunity that comes along very often to be able to join an Epic implementation team and to get Epic certified in an application um, and take your career in that direction. So you can't just go to Epic and say, hey, I want to get certified and start working in Epic. You have to have a hospital that will sponsor you and you have to take a test. Um, part of our application process, even though I'd worked for SIH for many years and um, was you know, their top candidate and really had been recruited for the position, I still had to apply and had to take, there's this like intelligence test <laughs> that Epic makes you take. Um, and also they there was a programming component too, which I'm sure I bombed. So we had to take all those parts to kind of look at, are you a good fit for an IT position? Um, and then yeah, hired and got applied and hired and was a part of their implementation team. I was actually the only inpatient pharmacist on their implementation team. Okay, so when they started this, this uh, kind of feeling out of getting Epic in and what needed to happen, they realized we needed some clinicians, some people with hands-on medical patient type type delivery service type thing and and so they they knew they know they needed a pharmacist and you were a pharmacist or was it they needed it people and you applied because you wanted to be in there or did you apply because you were the pharmacist and they knew that they needed a pharmacist they knew they needed a pharmacist um, they had several pharmacists apply i was the top candidate just because i'd been working in an informatics i've been working on meditech for several years um but they did hire, you know, on our implementation team, we had a pharmacist, a pharmacy technician, and then a non-pharmacy background person who came in and was our trainer. Okay. They hired mostly clinicians, people from the frontline, people who already know how SIH does things. They hired a lot of them from the floor, but they also hired some external people. Okay. So that's that's something that's pretty pretty important, I think, is, you know, they're they're working to build a new electronic medical record system, and they're investing tons of money, tons of capital tons of um, headaches, tons of effort, man hours worked. And so it's a huge project and it involves lots of moving pieces and lots of parts. And so from the get-go, they started recruiting kind of like these little small teams, like you, a pharmacy person, a ph I mean, a pharmacist, a pharmacy tech. Um, they recruited a team because they know you know, pharmacies got to work one way, which is different than an operating room group versus a imaging group. And so they, they made the kind of like a, 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 a multi-team approach to, to coming up with um, the, the implementations of solutions. So guess what I'm saying is, while you were working with SIH in the early days to help them start rolling with Epic, alongside you, but separate were these teams working on the phlebotomy section of Epic and the, um, the health and wellness section and the imaging section. So they're doing all these things. They're involving tech people, but they're involving the people that actually are gonna work with the system so that they, they, can, they can make it kind of the best they can because um, I know Epic is a, when we say epic, it's the electronic medical records, but it's a big giant spider and there's all sorts of components and there's 
lots of customization cap capabilities and 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 ability to do you know like what what happens at SIH in terms of pharmacy uh, may not fit the exact default you know IT settings for the pharmacy module within an Epic. So it needs to be tweaked, but that same module at another hospital over in Kentucky might work perfectly. So there's a lot of customization and a lot of um, improvements and 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 kind of developments as the process goes along. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, and I would expand on that. And say for pharmacy specifically, each hospital system tends to have its own formulary. So we have a list of antibiotics and um, anticoagulants and specific medications that we give at our hospital, which may not be the same as what another hospital, like you said, in Kentucky or even across the street would use. So we have to configure that whole formulary to specifically match what we do. Um, and it also depends on your what services you offer. You know, if you offer open heart surgeries, if you have if you do CRRT, continuous renal replacement treatment. Um, cardiac cath, all those different specialty services have to be configured exactly right for each hospital. And SIH being a rural community, the build was a lot different from like Naples Community Hospital, who's the organization I'm wrapping up with now, and that we had one hospital without 24-7 pharmacy coverage. So we had to enable it so that even when they don't have a pharmacist there indoors, nurses can get the medications that they need and give them overnight to their patients in the hospital or in the ER. Okay. So yeah, a lot of, you know, every system is going to be drastically different. Totally customizable. And, mm -hmm. and so you've got, you've got your in-house people, but then you've also got Epic con mm -hmm. consultants and, and, and implementers too, who are coming to help roll out this big system and, and probably migrate everything, all the data, the health data from Meditech into Epic. So you don't lose out on what you've had from previous years with your patient's information. Yep. Yeah, we had a whole data migration team um, and it I had forgotten because it had been so many years since I implemented Epic, but I just I'm just less than a month out of implementing Epic again at Naples and forgot just what a what a huge undertaking it is to convert a hospital system from one software to another. And I imagine going from a competitor like Cerner to uh, Epic is even more challenging than from like a lower level thing with Meditech. Mm -hmm. um, I imagine there's just lots more data in different locations in Cerner that has to map into the right spots. Whereas in Meditech, it might've been a much tighter set of data and attributes that need to, to go into the new system. They had been live with Cerner for I think 20 plus years. So when you look at SIH, I think we'd been live with Meditech less than 10 years and not even every area was live with it. So when you look at the amount of data in there, um, yeah, quite an undertaking. <laughs> Glad it's over. That over. Yeah. So I guess when we're talking about your role, what does what does Nicole, the pharmacist, contribute to the you know the operation of SIH in terms of serving their patients by doing what she does in Epic? I'll give you a good example that what I spent half my morning on. I'll give you a couple examples from this morning. Um, so one example, they were having an issue with barcode scanning at one of the clinics. So we always encourage every area to barcode scan their medications, especially inpatient. We we really try to push outpatient, um, but they give a really limited number of medications. So compliance isn't usually as good with barcode scanning on the outpatient side, but we have one outpatient clinic. What, real quick, what's, mm -hmm? the, what's the benefit of the barcode scanning? Accuracy. Accuracy. And I would I would make the pitch for efficiency also, um, but definitely accuracy. So the 
the issue they were having was whenever they're mixing their, their products, um, the record that we had built in Epic was for two grams of ceftriaxone, very common medication. So these nurses, sometimes they would use a two gram vial, but sometimes they didn't have that in stock. So they would use two one gram vials and those weren't scanning for them. So I had to go in and, you know, use my pharmacist knowledge and say, that's a perfectly acceptable procedure. They should be able to scan two ceftriaxone one gram vials to make a two gram dose. So I was able to do the configuration in Epic on the back end so that they can make that work. Um, awesome. And and Monica up at the top of the screen, if you see her, she's actually an RN at Washington. All right. Uh, Washington. You know, it's exactly what I'm talking about. Then. <laughs> yes. Yes. So so that's okay. So that's 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 awesome. That that makes sense. Um, why we need to have somebody who's a clinician to be involved in the IT side, because you can't take some random computer science graduate application developer to make those calls about whether the two one grams is going to work the same as a single two gram. I mean, we we think up in our heads, yeah, that works, but the pharmacy, the pharmacists know, well, that might cause problems. There might be an issue with one versus the other way of doing things, and who knows what that might be. We don't know. We don't need to get into that, or if there is any issue, but but that's the point. That's why we have so many um, clinicians involved in in this. And is that Monica? Is that kind of like what you're hoping to get when you graduate? Um, definitely a potential. I don't have a set path right now, but it definitely be something to kind of be able to, like for example, like right now I have we have four infliximab products and one therapy plan, and it's kind of almost like a choose your own adventure. Well, because it's easier to choose, now we have a billing issue because a patient was administered Inflectra instead of Remicade. And when I bring this up to my IT department saying like, hey, these really should have their own separate therapy plans, we get, well, basically tough luck. That's not really worth our time. So it'd be kind of nice to be able to implement that to help. You know, it's a patient safety issue as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's kind of, it would be kind of nice to be that bridge person be like, okay, like, yeah, it's not the high demand, like everybody's going to use it, but for the patients who are affected by it, it's a billing issue. It's a safety issue. It's a, um, medication dispensation dispensing issue. So that's, yeah, it'd be kind of nice to merge that all together to help out. And, and, you know, if you've paid for the software that can do it and all it is, is a matter of getting the right people in the same room to work it out and decide who's going to do what to fix it it only makes sense um yeah. and, and i imagine you've been in, in in those scenarios quite a bit nicole is that yeah yeah, yeah. and it definitely like i think what you're talking about is biosimilars so that's mm -hmm. a really big one too so um biosimilars are they're they're not generics but they're kind of like generics so for these really super pricey like monoclonal antibodies and chemos um instead of creating the exact same molecule and marketing it as a generic, these companies have created a biosimilar, which essentially the biosimilar is a different chemical, but it does the exact same response in the body theoretically. By doing that, they don't have to prove the same standards to the FDA. They can market it as a different product, um, but you can't do a direct substitution. Like you're saying, Monica, those are not the same product. Um, the, the FDA does not allow us to use those products interchangeably like they do with generics and a lot of other scenarios. So you have to set those different plans so that, like you said, 
everything goes the way it's supposed to. You know, the product scan, the billing happens. We know exactly what that product was that the patient got, if there's a recall, all that stuff. Awesome. So what has been, I mean, you were at SIH for quite a while doing the this role. What were like kind of the the day-to-day -day things you did at SIH, because um, I want to kind of compare that to you in this consulting role you're working at now. What was the, you know, uh, I'm I'm an uh, you're you're the epic pharmacist IT person for SIH. You handle everything. Versus now you're a consultant, working with other people. How how is how are those roles different? So the roles I keep getting hired for are infusion pump interoperability because that is a newer um, a newer thing that not everywhere is doing and a lot of places are implementing. There's not a lot of people, not a lot of pharmacists out there who know how to do it. Probably just a handful of us who have done it before and everybody else you're teaching them fresh. Um, so SIH, we did, I'll, I'll, I better back up and explain infusion pump interoperability. So infusion pump interoperability is um, you have this IV pump and this is going to deliver the patient's medication. It has a drug library. So it knows this is infliximab. I can run this over at, you know, no higher than this rate, but no slower than this rate, no higher than this dose, but no lower than this dose, um, all of that. So if you're not using interoperability, the nurse is looking at the, at Epic, at the medication administration record, the MAR, and she's saying, okay, I need to give this many milligrams. I need to give it over this rate. Um, I need to make sure I, I use an inline filter, looking at all those pieces, and then going to the IV pump and programming it manually. So infusion pump interoperability, instead of programming that pump manually, you have a button on the MAR that says send a pump. So all those details that are on the medication administration record directly from the order that the physician entered, those flow directly onto the IV pump. And then the nurse just presses, just glances at the screen, confirms it's all correct, and presses start. So I set that up for SIH. Um, got to be really good at it and got to really, really love it. It's probably my favorite piece of bill that I do. Um, even though it's a lot of build, you have to map every single drug, you have to map every single medication unit. You know, you have to say, can you dose this in grams or milligrams or milliequivalents or milliliters? What's safe? You have to have parameters around it. This is what we give for adults. This is what we give for pediatric patients. This is what we give for neonatal patients um, and have all of the different build around that. So yeah, merging those two systems. So for like the techie side, that's probably, you know, the interface is the part that you think about. We have an interface with HL7 messages that were communicating across. Um, so we know that milligrams and Epic is milligrams on the infusion pump. So yeah, I keep getting hired to build um, infusion pump interoperability, but at Naples, they had a very small Willow team. So I ended up doing a lot more than infusion pump interoperability for them. Um, done a lot of day-to-day, -day, help them configure their medication formulary. Um, they do a lot of compounding and repackaging. So that's where products that are stable for a longer period of time that they use a lot of, they make those up ahead of time. So we build records for those so that whenever you have a critically ill patient that comes in and needs it, they can just grab it off the shelf. They don't have to wait for pharmacy to mix it. Um, did a lot of that. They implemented cameras in their IV room. So whenever you have a pharmacy technician mixing an IV for a patient, you know, like a teeny tiny baby, they can take pictures of the preparations as they're doing them and send those to the pharmacist. So the pharmacist doesn't have to be directly in the IV room with them. They can look at pictures of everything they did directly there in Epic and make sure that they added the right amount of each product. Awesome. So the, we, we think about how 
computing systems um, save time, save money, but in, in these cases, they're really saving lives and, and yeah. they're making sure that the, by, by sending over these, these um, specified kind of upper and lower limits of medicines and other types of operating parameters that you help build and set in Epic as you know, the, the recipe for this drug, um, for this type of patient with this weight and that type of thing, those things get sent over to the pump and the nurse can verify by seeing the readings on the pump that it looks right to her and it's not going to, or him, I should say, or him, because my brother's a, a nurse and he does IVs, that's his job. He's, he's the main IV mm -hmm. guy in Nashville. Um, so that the nurse is giving a checkup on the, the, the IV that has been told directly from the EMR what to administer and what dose and what rate and that type of thing. And so a nurse who's been on their feet for 17 hours of a double shift or something, you know, we, we know we hear about medical errors and how big medical errors are. And so a lot of this um, digitizing or moving uh, our, our medical stuff to, to, to electronic is, to, is, is for patient safety, uh, maybe top, um, and, and then accurate, accuracy of reporting and billing and communication and sharing of information all is, uh, all is just kind of a bonus, I guess. Um, neat. Um, okay, so, so you've, you, you did at SIH, uh, you kind of learned how to do the infusion pumps and that was something new and something that is not, you know, working in a lot of EMR, uh, Epic EMR locations across the country. It's, it's not there yet for a lot of hospitals. Yeah, you have to have the right equipment, you have to have the right, Cerner does it too, and I hear Meditech does it, although I can't imagine they do it very well, from what I know from the inner workings of Meditech. Um, and yeah, there are two pump vendors, I'm excited, my next project is going to be ICU Medical, who's the other, the two big pump vendors across the country are BD Alaris and ICU Medical, who used to be Hospira, so I'll get to use that and see how their pumps are different. So you've, you've kind of steered us into something that I, I talk about in uh, classes a lot and in these um, in, in these interviews is that you have kind of um, found yourself a very specialized niche in being an expert in something that you know there's not a lot of experts in you know you can do these infusion pumps you have the pharmacy background you have the experience in technology and working with epic so now you've built yourself, into like this really awesome spot where you are a commodity, a hot commodity. You know, you can you can do this where other people can't. And there's very few, maybe there's hundred of them in the country. And that, you know, that specific specific specificity that unique and you uniqueness <laughs> uh, and this the high level of skill set um, allow you to demand a you know a, a compensation rate and benefits that you yep. know that are that are pretty darn good i imagine and and i talk about a couple of friends and i talk about other people who you know you you pick the technology and you learn it really good and if it's something specialized that not a lot of people know about you can get your you know your your ticket punched and and make yourself a a pretty fantastic career um and and i have a good friend who's who did something similar with enterprise storage who just 
he, he was going to speak to this class, but he told me he's kind of retired um, at the age of like 46. Um, so <laughs> I, I don't know what that might mean, but uh, he'll nice. talk to us and, and, and he did the same thing. Um, but, but that's, that's really cool. I always tell the, you know, Matt recommend, see if you can specialize in something because something that no one else wants to, but is important or that is going to be important in the years to come. And that'll be a, that'll be a breadwinner for sure. Um, what else can you tell us about what you do, um, on a day-to-day basis working with, I mean, you, you're, how, how much do you work with, um, like the pharmacy team at the location that you're helping to implement, for example, or, um, you know, what's the, you're doing remote work, are you traveling a lot? Um, this contract I did mostly remote. Um, I think I went on site four times. I was there January, February, March, I guess I went, I went four times, January, February, January, February, April, May, June, I went five times this year. Um, to go on site and to help them out with at the elbow help. So one of those events was a full record testing event for infusion pumps. So before we ever, ever push anything into production for an infusion pump, you always test it and make sure it works. Uh, there are pieces of bill that I'm comfortable moving to production without testing, but pumps are definitely not one of them. So we tested every single record. We brought in 12 or so nurses from the floor. Um, I had to set up all those scenarios on test patients, had to enter every single, in order for every single medication record that we needed to test on the pump and sat down and tested all those out. Um, very successful event, fortunately. I also spent some time helping them with pharmacist training. So in addition to implementing the software and all the build that goes along with that, you have to train all your users. They're all, they're all very, very comfortable with Cerner. Um, and from the outsider looking in, what they had with Cerner was crap compared to what they're getting with Epic, but it was comfortable. It was what they knew. It's what they've been working with for a long time. It was customized to every little detail of what they did day in and day out. So it was a big change and a lot of um, change management that we had to do with their users and they're adjusting. Um, we now have daily calls with their managers. So on those, we talk a lot about um, anybody can request a change to the system, but I think part also of being the pharmacist on this in the the role of building these changes out is um, looking at the change and saying, is this just one person requesting this? Is this really the right thing to do? Or is this the comfortable thing to do? I'll give you one example. They, um, in their old software, they could essentially trick it and say that any two products that they wanted, they could use interchangeably. So one thing that we didn't know they were using interchangeably that they were was heparin infusions in D5W and in half normal saline. So those are two different fluids. Um, is it really a huge deal? No, but you need to know, like Monica was saying, you need to know what the patient got. So we went live and all of their heparin infusions were not working. They weren't able to pull them out of their dispensing cabinets because they were using what was one product was two in Epic. That's um, a fairly common scenario. And does that have a patient safety aspect or is it an accuracy and billing and inventory problem mostly? It's both because if they can't pull it out of the cabinet, they're going to override it. Um, and if you want, I, does your brother work at Vanderbilt? I don't remember. Yes. So do you want to talk about the big, um, the big lawsuit that recently a Vanderbilt nurse was actually convicted of? Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about that. That's just... homicide. So she went to the automated dispensing cabinet, which you could think of it as like a soda machine. Um, like a toolbox 
on wheels that you put your credentials in, right? They kind of look, yeah. look, they look, they look like toolboxes, don't they? Um, they look more like vending machines, I think. Okay. Yeah. And, but instead of telling it you want a Sprite, you tell it you want, you know, in this case, the nurse wanted Vecure or Versed. So she went in and typed um, VE to look up Versed, which is a sedative that they were going to use for a patient who's getting a PET scan. She types VE. And the first thing that pops up is Vecuronium. So Vecuronium is a paralytic, um, terrifying, terrifying drug. Anybody will tell you, anybody in healthcare has a healthy respect for paralytics because what it does is it gives you, um, completely relaxes every single muscle in your body, including your breathing. So it paralyzes you entirely. So instead of giving this patient Versed, she pulls out this Vecuronium vial, does not do any barcode scanning, does not do any kind of checks, didn't even, clearly didn't even read the vial because it says on the top in red letters, paralytic agent. Um, she's on autopilot. She dilutes it, which you don't have to dilute Versed. You have to dilute Vecuronium though, dilutes it draws it up, injects into the patient, and then leaves. Doesn't even stay and monitor the patient. And the patient ended up dying. And it probably, I mean, an unimaginably horrible death, essentially suffocating to death while being fully conscious and aware of what's happening, but not being able to move. So. And, and that is the reason that you guys do what you do with the records and the infusion pumps and to make sure the safety checks are there and to prevent people from doing that. And, and, and I imagine there's probably multiple points along the way if this had been in the system properly where she would have been hey there's a flag there's a warning this is maybe not right this is maybe not right a couple different places she probably got warned before that type of scenario would have happened yeah and i keep going back to barcode scanning that's the biggest case for barcode scanning and what's the resistance to it it's new it's different it's changed it's really all about change management it's just getting people accustomed to doing something different and understand yeah. why they why they need to do it different. Yeah. yeah, and from like the nursing side who had to do barcode scanning, or sometimes there are barriers. Like if your patient's in a code, you're not gonna be like, oh, hang on everybody, I need to scan the armband and oh, now I gotta scan the atropine. Oh, hang on, hang on, I need to scan. Sometimes it's just like, go, 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 go. Yeah. Um, and, or, you know, working on a stroke neuro floor, um, you know, the patients may have substances all over the wristband. So now you have to go get a new one mm-hmm. because you don't, because it's, it's unlegible, unlegible. You can't read it now. Um, sometimes, I mean, there's, there's multiple barriers to it. It's like, like, usually I, it's in a rush. I would say what is number one and two is the inconvenience because you're like, Oh, now I have to stop everything. And of course you're always going to be in an isolation room. So you have to take off all your isolation gear, go to the other desk, get a new sticker, put it on the band, regarb, put it back on the patient and then start the process over. Another big barrier I used to hear a lot in ICUs was, you know, you've got this patient who's on a vent and they've got all these, all this equipment attached to them. And now you've got this tethered scanner on the other side of the room that you somehow have to grab off this computer on wheels and drag it all the way over the patient. Yep. Um, so one thing that we did at Naples and it's getting to be more common, we use Rover, which is Epic's mobile application. So it's an iPhone um, they can use for medication. So they can scan medications with it. They can scan patients with it. They can scan the pump with it. They can do a lot of simple charting on it. We also use our application called Haiku, 
which is like instant messaging. So um, they can send, like say the patient's got a funky wound and the nurse is looking at the patient. And they're like, you know, this looks like it's getting worse. I really want to alert the doctor to it. Mm-hmm. Instead of just, you know, paging them or, you know, the old process of trying to get a hold of whoever's on call, they can snap a picture of it and send it directly through Haiku over to the provider who can take a look at it and say, oh yeah, that does look worse. Let's start them on a different antibiotic or let's get a culture, you know, that kind of thing. And that's awesome because I I was admitted to the hospital one time and, you know, and, and being around my father and, and Annie when they had medical issues, it's, you're, you're like, you're being held hostage by those doctors sometimes, you know, with their schedules. And I, I don't mean to use that term, but you kind of are, you know, you're waiting and waiting and waiting. And if you could snap a picture and get it to them and they could, where they're, wherever they're at, whether it's, you know, in an operating room or on the golf course, uh, doctor joke, uh, they can respond <laughs> and, and, and give some sort of an update. That's, that's pretty darn cool. And that's, that's one of the things I think is most neat about this. And, you know, other industries have systems and, and technologies that kind of run their whole industry, but I don't think anything is as expansive as what we've got in the medical field and all the different, um, components that allow things to work better and and i think you know maybe i guess is it is it is sah kind of were they on the leading edge of some of this as you guys were implementing it i'm sure that there's hospitals who are still trudging along with with manual um types of of uh checks and and minimal emr um interaction um what how do you feel like you guys are in terms of on the cutting edge of, of these types of, at least in the areas you're working on? Yeah, in a lot of areas, they really were technologically, like I said, we were the first system that went live with infusion pump interoperability at the same time as an electronic health record. Epic really recommends you wait a couple months after you go live to start doing the pump interoperability because it is very, very different. The nursing workflows are really different because in addition to the medication populating the pump, it also calculates how much fluid the patient gets and talks back to the chart with that. So the nurse has to know what to do with all this data that's going back and forth between Epic and the pump. It takes a lot of training. Um, So they were, and they actually just acquired another hospital. They acquired Harrisburg Medical Center. And I was involved in some of the early stages of that. Harrisburg Medical Center was using three or four different softwares just within the hospital, not to mention their clinics. they were kind of living in those dark ages of whenever I first started SIH and a lot of things were on paper. You were still trying to, to read and interpret providers handwriting. Um, and you had different people entering these orders into multiple systems and then trying to make all of that piece together and work, which you can do if you don't have a whole lot of patients, you can make it work, but it's not going to be nearly safe. And the regulatory requirements are really, really ramping up. Um, so you're required now to report a lot of, a lot of data on your infectious disease patients. So a lot of your susceptibility. So you look at each hospital looks at, um, how different antibiotics are responding to infections in their hospital. And then we report that data out to the CDC. Um, vaccinations are another important one. Um, all of those get reported to the state. Um, so that way, all that information, we can, we can look at it from a, you know, we just are still in the middle of a pandemic, looking at things epidemiologically and seeing what the test positivity rate is here. What's our vaccination rates at this area? 
and being able to do more population level health. And I think that's another one of the wins. And, and, and I, I, when I went to, um, I visited Cerner maybe eight years ago and as a, they had like a professor wor workshop and that was one of the big things they thought and they talked about was this idea of Cerner and population health and being able to hire computer scientists and data scientists to kind of work through um, the big data that all these different organizations implementing Cerner had and would share in order to do like massive analysis on, 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 on patient data to determine population health trends and, and um, impacts of certain factors on, on population health as a whole. And is Epic, I mean, do you see that happening at a small scale, like within Southern Illinois, was, was the EMR being used to help kind of create a broader um, initiative for improving public health based on data? Um, yeah. was, it, was, it was to that point yet or? Definitely, and that was a big goal of SIHs with implementing EPIC. Um, you can't make your community healthier if you don't know what your problems are. Um, so like here in this area, you know, we're in the Midwest, um, we are, we're not all eating the Mediterranean diet. We have a really high, really high case rates of uh, strokes and heart attacks. And a lot of, a lot of beef, a lot of beef and pork. A lot of beef, not for Tom, but <laughs> beef and pork for everyone else. I've got, I've got, <laughs> I've got the red meat allergy. Monica. Oh. <laughs> oh, that sucks. Chicken. Chicken. Yeah. Turkey. <laughs> um, going with all that but yeah population level health has gotten to be a big thing and you actually the, the government is incentivizing organizations to really try to make people healthier instead of just treating them while they're sick by offering better reimbursement rates for primary care providers for you know having better outcomes and and that sort of thing and and insurance companies i don't know do they 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 offer incentives now too none of the ones that i that i have uh an option for but are, are insurance rates, are insurance companies um, making use of the connectivity or the, the, the population data from you guys? Um, I don't think so. I think there's, yeah, there's still a lot of pushes to keep that separate just okay. from um, like a HIPAA patient privacy standpoint. That makes sense. Yeah. But, uh, you know, a lot of hospitals and it's, it's interesting. I'm just onboarding at my third hospital system now and um well, I was at SIH and then Naples Community Healthcare, and I'll be moving to Virtual Healthcare in New Jersey for a six-month contract with them for pumps and seeing how different everybody is. Um, NCH, for example, was tobacco-free, so you had to have a blood draw, to, you know, continuous blood draws to prove that you're tobacco-free before you start there. <laughs> and do they do they do that throughout your 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 tenure working there? Um, not for me because I'm short-term contract, but yeah, I believe their their regular employees are subject to routine blood draws for that. Mandatory tobacco tests, random. Wow. SIH for a long time actually did annual and they just charged you less for insurance if you were tobacco free. You had to pay more if they found tobacco in your system. Right, that, yeah, makes sense. Um, what are, um, I don't know, do you have anything to talk about related to uh, like security and anything that you're involved with that has kind of a, 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 a twist to security or, or that you're involved in? I, I guess I'm not getting uh, it out right, but. 
No, so one of my last big projects with um, SIH, they were moving to Epic hosted. So instead of housing our servers that house Epic within SIH here in Southern Illinois, they were moving to Epic hosting those. So cloud. Um, and that's what Naples did. That's what pretty much every organization is going to. So I can only imagine the security. I've heard, you know, little a little bit from Epic employees about like, oh yeah, it's a building that, you know, top of, the highest level government security to be able to access. And they have like all these redundancies across the country in case one of them gets taken out. Because if you want to paralyze a hospital <laughs> these days, taking out their EMR is a pretty good way to do that. Yeah, yeah. And I imagine, I mean, hospitals have to have some sort of fallback procedure for when the systems aren't working, but- Yeah, yeah, we have, because we do go down. Um, yeah, we, we have to take Epic down periodically for- uh, maintenance and upgrades and that kind of thing. I'll give you another really good real life example I just remembered. So OmniCell, who's our automation dis automated dispensing cabinet system that we use, like I was talking about the vending machines that disperse medications, they actually were victim to a ransomware attack. <sighs> so right before we went live, the, then the big implication, you know, the software still worked, but all their employees lost access to their laptops. So they, they were working on their phones trying to help us do the final stages of this EMR implementation. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> so, all right. So you're, you're moving to another contract, another um, brand new implementation of Epic, moving from another like Cerner or? Yeah, so they've actually been live on Epic for a while. They're just adding on infusion pumps. So they're not live with infusion pumps in there. Oh, okay. So you come in and you kind of do your wheelhouse specialty, make, yeah. the, make these infusion pumps talk, give them all the recipes, and then you slap them on the head and give them a kiss and say, good luck. That's, that's the best part of it. Yep. <laughs> so this one's maybe a little more, uh, a little more specific and, and, and less uh, user training and things like that, I guess, or? They still will probably do a two-hour class. It's um, it's a lot of training to get your nurses used to how all the interoperability pieces work. I'm looking forward to this site because they're they're regional hospitals, so they do a lot of transplant and a lot of really specialized procedures that I haven't gotten to work with before. So, I'm okay. and, looking forward. And, and so, when what what is the reception like? For example when they go live with the infusion pumps, how do, how do the, the people on the, on the floors, the nurses, the Monica's, how, how do they react when they see this and it starts changing in their daily uh, you know, work? So I read, um, I saw a presentation that a hospital organization did. They interviewed their nurses. They asked them like a series of questions before they went live about pump interoperability. And then they asked that same set of questions on like day one and then day five and then day seven and then like six months later. So what they saw were in the first few days, I was like, this is horrible, I hate it. Why did we change to this? This is not any better, the old way was better. And then by six months, they were basically all saying, don't ever take this away. <laughs> I don't even remember how to do the old way. Yeah. Funny. They always put the training times at the most inopportune of like, it's like right before a shift or right after a shift and you're like so hard. Yeah. I'm not going to retain this information. Yeah. <laughs> That's when they can get people there together. That's what they claim, but. And the classes with the good times all fill up within like 10 minutes. Yep. <laughs> or I don't want to come in on my day off, but yeah. then you don't want to. So, I mean, there's, 
it's a lot of resistance, I think, yeah. but then once you're shown like how it's beneficial, then people warm up to it. Yeah, exactly. And you always got to work around whatever, you know, Nicole's special is, whatever TV show she's watching. She can't teach classes during that time, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, no, no work when Dancing with the Stars is on or something. Right? <laughs> so, Nicole, what do you, I mean, is this what you see yourself doing the rest of your career is, is, is working with these epic specifically and, and helping with these infusion pumps? Or do you think you're going to broaden? And is there, there's got to be some other type of device that needs to be, you know, connected and made smart so that it can be controlled and administered and, and operate more safely? Is there anything on the horizon like that? Um, Epic is always growing and changing. I just did my new version trainings the other day. Um, there's always new stuff in the next upgrade and it gets a little bit more exciting each time. Um, I have two sort of thoughts on that. One is I never thought I'd be worth this much money and I'll never make this much money doing something else. Like you alluded to earlier, as specialized as I've gotten, um, I was making good money at SIH when I moved to the Naples contract, I was making $10 an hour more there. And my contract in New Jersey is $5 an hour over what I was making at Naples. So I will now be at $15 an hour more than I was making a year ago doing the same job. So yeah, that part is unparalleled. And I also just happen to love the work. My other thought on that, I used to think I was at a disadvantage with all my experience being at a community hospital because, you know, I don't, I don't have the, the, the big hospital names behind me, you know, whenever I'm applying for new jobs, I can't say that I worked for, you know, Yale or Mayo Clinic or Cleveland Clinic or any of those big hospitals. But I've actually found this round, um, I received two job offers in the same day, the first two jobs I applied for, and both of them were willing to wait until August 1st for me. And they both said the same thing. It's hard to find people with your skill set because I came from a community hospital where I was the only pharmacist. I had to do everything. And if you're more specialized, if you work for one of the bigger hospitals, you might be really great at infusion pumps or really great at compounding and repackaging or really great at building order sets. But it's kind of hard to find those people who can do everything. Awesome. Yeah. And there's enough different pieces, I think, that I can keep doing different things at different hospitals and not get bored, I hope. Yeah. And even if you're bored for a little bit, you're still making $15 an hour plus or whatever you were. So you can be bored. Right. For <laughs> you know, maybe, my maybe. goal is to start taking time off between contracts. So I've got two weeks off at the end of this month before I start my new contract. And then my next contract, I'm hoping to take a whole month off after that. And, and you, you know, you're, you're really in the, the sweet spot, I, I think, you know, for, for the career and the opportunities, do what you want when you want on mm -hmm. your terms in a lot of cases, because you've, because you've built yourself to be such a, an expert in such a specific and, and not going away area, um, yep. which is awesome. That is very cool. Any questions from anybody out there? Monica, Alex, or Kyler? I'm just enjoying the talk, just like music in my ears. <laughs> There's a light at the end of the rainbow. I, the end of the I told Monica that we were having you on uh, the very first time we talked, and I, I think she was excited back then. And um, so, so this has definitely been neat. Um, any um, anything I didn't ask you that you want to tell us about? Advice for students, or um, you know, is it is it worth getting? Uh, coming from, you know, if you're, you're in another field and, and healthcare, you, you'd say, yeah, take the leap, see what you can do. I mean, it's got to be within the person to, to do both roles or have the understanding and wear both hats, I guess, but. 
and you have to be the kind of person if you, if don't expect other people to give you the answers. You know, I've come across that so much in my career, like, oh, well, no one told me how to do that. Well, I don't, I don't think that's an excuse. Go figure it out. Yeah. And I think that attitude is the reason I've gotten as far as I have. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. There's, there's too much of, well, I'm going to do the wrong thing because nobody specifically hand delivered me the steps I needed to do to make things right. Yeah. And, you know, I see that a lot with my children. Yep. <laughs> go, you know, go, go clean, uh, weed whack around the, the trees. And they're like, well, there was a rock there. Uh, <laughs> so I didn't weed whack around there. Okay. Well, what should you have done? Move the rock. Yeah. Got it. Go Problem back and solved. move the rock. Yes, exactly. You know, yep. on the spot, autonomous decisions. Um, I got five questions for you and then we'll wrap, Nicole. And I appreciate your time. Are you ready? Okay. What's your favorite food, restaurant, cuisine, something you like to eat the most? You know, um, Faux Grand, my favorite Vietnamese place in the world in St. Louis just closed and I'm not over it. So I would say spring rolls from Faux Grand. <laughs> Faux Grand. Okay. Um, do you have any podcasts, books, movies, TV shows about technology or health and technology that you're particularly enjoyed or interested in and like to share? Hmm. You know, I've been working on work-life balance, so I've been, I've, I don't really listen to many podcasts or read things about work outside of work. Um, I would say one healthcare related site that I really enjoy and I follow most closely is Medscape. Um, it's a healthcare provider resource, but a lot of good stuff on there. Um, also looking to like leapfrog data. That's kind of a big thing. That's interesting. It's different outcomes from different hospitals for how they, how they rank. And there's a lot of stuff in there specific to EHR. Um, can't think of anything else. I'll let you know if I do. All right. Is there a, is there a technology that you haven't yet, but would like to learn about or get a chance to work with either personally or at the job site? Um, I would have to say Epic's oncology application beacon. I'm not certified in it. I started the proficiency when I was at SIH and like an idiot, I didn't finish it. And I regret that because um, it really is kind of an extension of the Willow inpatient pharmacy application. So that, or um, professionally, there's a board certified pharmacotherapy specialist exam, BCPS, and I would like to do that someday. And if you had those two pieces of experience, you'd be more valuable to those. Be worth even more money. <laughs> yeah, to those, those customers that, that need somebody to do the, the chemo part for the, the pharmacological part of Willow. Yeah. Um, and, and the other thing was more of, what was the second thing that you mentioned? Uh, a board. Oh, board certified pharmacotherapy specialist exam. So it's a pharmacist specific extra knowledge kind of exam because you do start to lose your clinical knowledge a little bit, not much, but yeah. And, and so that is something that would allow you to do more with Epic or just- Yeah, it, it just expanded my clinical knowledge some more, I think. Okay. And that's always good. You always the pharmacist side of me. How do you think your role or career will change over the next five to 10 years? Hopefully I start making more money per hour and taking more time off. <laughs> and that's my, that's my five-year goal. Um, I think I want to stick with contract work, which I, when I left SIH, it was really just well contract works available but I've grown to really, really love it because about the time I'm starting to burn out from it, 
is about the time my contract's up and I get to go find something new and exciting and always do something different and always meeting new people. Cool. So I think contract work is where I'll stay for, for a while. Good, good, good. And lastly, if you were able to retire today, money's no object, what would you do? Travel. Anywhere specifically? Bring, um, bring the family and kids? Um, a little bit of bringing the family and kids. I'd like to travel more overseas, probably. I've never been to Europe, so I'd like to go to Europe. I'd like to visit a lot more places in the Caribbean than I have been. Awesome. Yeah, travel and spend time with my kids. Gotcha. All right. Anything else from anybody before I hit the stop on the recording? All right. Thank you, Thank Nicole. You. Oh, thanks.